Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now there are 16 verses in Genesis chapter 4, but I'm just going to kind of concentrate on the first seven verses. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the first fruit of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It, it's a desire for you, but you must rule over it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the words that you've given to us from the very foundations of the world. That you are with us and you declare to us your majesty and your glory. You are the one worthy to be worshiped and you and you alone. This morning as we, as we come into your house as a family, that you would speak to us in a new and a fresh way. We thank you for this past year that you've seen us through. Although some of us have had troubles and trials and heartaches and losses, you've never left us. You've been right beside us the whole way and your comfort and your joy surpasses all of our understanding. So this morning, as we sit and we worship you, we want to reflect on who you are in our life. We've sung about your blood. We've sung about Jesus. We've sung about all the things that are so near and dear to us. And so this morning, just keep us close to your heart. We love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, this morning, you know that I am not the pastor. I am the minister to senior adults and assimilation. Some of you are going like, I don't even know what assimilation is. Well, sometimes I feel the same way. It's one of those things where if you're a new member or you're a guest, then you'll probably see me or you'll probably uh, notice what I'm, this is my job is really just to be able to say, how can you be involved in the church? If you're um, coming to Second Baptist, if you're coming to the, through the doors of our church, Apparently, God is calling you to do something in our church, and we want you to get plugged in. And so my job is really to just kind of see what it is that you do. I'm not, I don't evaluate you and say, oh, is he good enough to be a greeter at the door? Can he make coffee? Can he do well? I'm just saying, God has a purpose for you in being a member of Second Baptist Church. And so one of the things I get to do is just meet with you. Most of you, I, I probably know, most of you have shaken your hand or, or said hi to you. And so that's kind of what I love to do. That's my gifting. And so I enjoy that more than that. But one of the things I love to do is preach and just to be able to open God's word. I'm not the greatest preacher in the world, but I love to preach and just be able to open God's word. So here's my introduction. What is your favorite, what is your favorite Christmas gift that you got this year? That's a rhetorical question, do not answer that. 
Think about it. What was the favorite gift that you got? Was it something that was well thought of? Did somebody, did somebody make it for you? Did they spend all year making it for you? Did they save all year in order to be able to get you what you want? Was it coming from somebody really special? Now think of the opposite side and say, what is the favorite gift that you gave this year? Was it something special? Was it something that you saved for all year? Was it something that you made and created with your own hands? Or was it something that really meant a lot that you searched high and low through all the stores and all the land for anything that would remind you of that person? Or did you give cash? Or a store card? Usually that's the way us guys do it, right? You ladies, you go buy, and my, my wife, she's always been really good about buying gifts. In fact, she'll start in January and think all year long. And so by the time uh, December rolls around, she's got a whole closet full of gifts that I've already gone through and checked out what I want and what I don't want. But me, I just kind of go, okay, well, uh, I don't even know what everybody else wants. And so I think the universal gift is just cash. And so I make it easy on myself in order to be able to give something that is of value, but it really not, it's really not something that speaks about what I think of that person, right? If you just do the bare minimum of giving a gift at Christmas, what does that say about what we think about that person? I'm just going to give you something that I'm kind of obligated to give to you, but I really hadn't thought about it that much. I wonder if this morning that's kind of what it is that we've done with worship service in our church. This morning, did you come expecting God to, to hear God's word? Did you come this morning expecting for something different to happen in your life? Or did you come this morning going, well, it's something that we've always done Sunday morning. Okay, I'll just go and be a part. And if I'm entertained, great. If I'm not, then well, whatever. Most of the time when we as preachers preach, we're preaching to a broad audience. And so we never know where God is moving. For some of you, you've been Christians for a long, long time. You've got it down pat. You can do all the things. You live your life in humility. You live your life in gratitude. You live your life the way you want to live because it's God-centered. But for some of you, you come and you don't know Jesus at all. And so how do we as preachers talk to the older or the more mature Christian and the non-Christian all in the same setting? It's not about me, but it's about what God's message says to all of us. And so when you hear what God is saying through scripture, apply it to your life and say, what is God speaking to me this morning? So as we read Genesis chapter 4, we see that it's just a, an interesting story. This is a story that we've read all of our life, Vacation Bible School. You, you were taught this um, many, many years ago. But it's a story of murder. In fact, I was looking and I thought, this is the first murder that ever happened in life. And it was right after a worship service. So don't take that for anything other than what it is, okay? We've heard the story of Cain and Abel. Two brothers bring their sacrifice to God. Cain, Abel's sacrifice is accepted, but Cain's sacrifice is not. Out of jealousy, Cain takes his brother into the field and kills him. Because of Cain's sin, he is branded with a mark and sent away. However, if we carefully study the text, we find that there's much more to this story. The first half, the first seven verses are the first half of the story, and the eight through 16 are the second half. 
a cursory look at it is that, oh, this is murder. Oh, there's a first conflict. But reality is, of the story is looking this morning is what we bring to worship. You see, in the time of Cain and Abel, God spoke directly to man. God spoke directly. He didn't have to go through a, a pastor or somebody else. He literally, you would walk, Cain and Abel walked to the land and heard God speaking to them verbally. Can you imagine what that would be like? We would be going like, oh, I think I would live my life a little bit better because I heard God directly speaking to me. But it's no different from Old Testament time to New Testament times when we think about what God says to us. God spoke verbally. God speaks to our heart today. God spoke to men and women in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he speaks to our church through different means. But he has a divine revelation that every one of us can hear. Cain and Abel walked with the Lord. But if we go back, we look at chapter 3, we see the roots of evil. In chapter 4, we see the fruits of evil. So if we back up just a little bit, we know that Genesis chapter 1 gives us the creation story that God created in six days everything that was created. And then in chapter 2, it was just a retelling of that same story. In chapter 3, we find the fall of man where Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of, of good and knowledge and they were cast out. Sin entered the world and now we find creation or us, our family, our ancestry, outside of Eden, how they are supposed to be, how they're supposed to be living. And so we find that in verse one. Now, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, this is an interesting, if we stop right here, we have to go back to that Adam and Eve, when they were being cursed, one of the things that God told Eve was that her seed would be the savior of the world. Back in chapter 2, verse 16, I think is uh, 17 is, is where it is. But God commanded Eve that she would be out of the, out of the Garden of Eden, but that her seed would, would have enmity with the evil. So the, the, the evil one would bruise his head, but God, Messiah, would crush the head of the evil one. And so when in in the uh, Hebrew text, we find that this, this word ish, he bore me a human with the, help of, with the help of God. It's really like he has borne me a Lord with the help of the Lord. Meaning that she thought within her heart that this was the savior, this was the promise that God had given to them that she was now the mother of the savior. Now she was totally wrong because we find in the story that he is not, Cain is not the savior of the world. And so we look at uh, verse um, th uh, two of chapter four. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time or after the end of days, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the first fruit of his flock and of their fat portions thereof. 
The story goes that there are two men, and of course the, the Bible is full of contra, or, uh, contrasts, okay? You've got Cain and Abel, you have the thief on the cross, you have um, the man that built the, his house on the sand and the man that built his house on the rock. You've got Jacob and Esau. You've got all kind of contrasting stories all through the Bible to be able to tell you a little bit about what is good and evil. One of the things that I remember growing up is my older brother and I were two totally different guys and everything that he did to get in trouble, I learned not to do. And so I think the same thing goes with what God is trying to tell us in this story of Cain and Abel. Cain, who was the firstborn, brought of the fruit of the ground. He was a farmer. He was tiller of the ground. Now, this was a noble profession. In fact, in 2.16, it says that God says, you will uh, work the ground. That's one of the, the jobs for uh, Adam and Eve in order to be able to live in the Garden of Eden, that you would till the ground, that you would produce fruit, and you would produce uh, all kinds of grain and all kinds of things. But Abel was a keeper of sheep. Now, this too was a profession because God had said in chapter 2 that man would be created to have dominion over the animals, the beasts, the wild beasts, the fish of the seas, and the birds of the air. So here are two different professions, but yet God ordained in each one. And we see in the story here that they brought an offering to God. Now, Sometimes we think that Exodus and the Mosaic Law were the first times that sacrifice was instituted in the lives of the Israelite people, but it started somewhere. It had to originate somewhere. And when Adam, um, Cain and Abel brought an offering to the Lord, it had to have been taught to them from God himself. He said, therefore, now that you are outside of the Garden of Eden, you must bring a sacrifice to me at the end of days. So whether that was the end of the agricultural year or whether that was at a specific time or whatever, they were supposed to bring an offering and present it to the Lord. Where? Nobody really even knows, but it's probably, you know, when they were cast out of the Garden of Eden, God did uh, one thing. He put a cherubim and a flaming sword to guard the way of the Garden of Eden so that nobody could go back in there so that they couldn't eat of the, the tree of, uh, of eternal life. And so, Nobody could get back in there. But I think that's where they might have said, that's a place where we will go and make it holy and bring our sacrifices to that, that place. And so at the end of the days or at the end of the year, they brought their fruit or their offering to the Lord. Now, the difference between Cain and Abel was that Cain brought the, the fruit of the ground. He just brought what it, whatever it is that he had, whatever he wanted to do, and whatever it was to bring. But the difference was that Abel brought the first fruits of what he had, and he brought the fatty portions or the best portions of what it was that he had. You see, here's the difference between Cain and Abel when they came to worship, is Cain seemed to have just brought whatever he had to bring. Didn't say that he brought the first fruits of what his produce was, it said that only of Abel. So it tells us that there is a difference between the two things that were sacrificed. I think Cain probably wanted to worship his own way. Abel wanted to worship the way God wanted him to worship. There was a reason why Abel brought the first fruits, the best of the best, because God had once commanded him. 
Now, whether he brought, that was brought from Adam and Eve teaching him or whether God spoke directly to him and told him, I think it was kind of a little bit of both. Unless we think that this was just happening in a short amount of time, you know, it, they, Cain and Abel, uh, Cain killed Abel, and then later on, they had a replacement son named Seth. Seth, or Adam was 130 years old when Seth was born. So in the course of time, when we read this, it could be in a 130-year time span. We don't know how old Adam, uh, Cain and Abel is, that they are in this story. And it could be that this is not the first sacrifice that they've ever brought. In fact, if it's a 130-year span, and they lived a long time back then, they might have brought multiple, multiple, multiple offerings to the Lord year after year after year. But over the course of time, maybe Cain started going like, you know, I don't think God even really, I don't think he really even needs the best of my best. I don't even think he needs anything that I, in fact, if I take the best of my best and I, I do whatever I want with it, then I seem to prosper a little bit better than anything else. But Abel was bringing the first fruits of his offspring every single year. He made it a point to bring the fatty portions, which are the best portions of what he had. And then we find that God had regard for Abel and not for Cain. Why? I wonder why that's interesting. It's not a matter of, for us, we tend to think that the more money you make, the more valuable you are. The more you're able to do something neat, the more prestigious you are, the better reputation you, you have, then the better person you are. I was reading the other day, probably about probably two or three weeks ago, there was a baseball player that makes $700 million. For some of you, I know that's just a drop in a bucket for you, but $70 million a year is pretty, pretty, I mean, pretty. they broke it down for me and I was really kind of interest, in, intrigued because it said that $70 million or $700 million over a 10-year contract, break it down, comes out to about $2.21 a second, whether you're awake or whether you're asleep. So if you sleep for seven hours, I calculated this, if you sleep for seven hours, he's making $928.64. Kind of makes you want to sleep an extra hour, doesn't it? Nobody's worth that kind of money, right? Well, to somebody it is. Somebody's paying it. The thing that is most valuable to us is what God wants. Sometimes we put a wrong price tag on the things that God wants because it's kind of reflective of what we want and it's not what God wants. One thing that I want you to see in this whole story or two things that I want you to see is this. The character of the giver is never separated from the worshiper. The character of the giver is never separated from the worship itself. What that means is this. You can't live the way you want to live your life out here six days a week and then come in here on Sunday morning and offer God something and expect him to say, oh, that's really good. Oh, that's really good because he sees and knows everything that you've ever done, what you've ever thought. And as we come in on Sunday morning and for an hour we seem to worship God, we can't disassociate what our life was like this week with this hour. God wants the worship and the worshiper 
to be one and the same in the thought. But here we have two brothers, one a farmer, one a rancher. God does not have a distinction that one is better than the other. He doesn't say because you're a farmer, that's better, or whether you're a, a rancher, that's better. That's not the distinction. It's the attitude with which the worshipers are bringing their offering that makes all the difference in the world. Let me just skip ahead here just really quick because I'm thinking about it. Uh, verse 7. If you do well, you will, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. The reason why I want to skip to that is because last week we talked about the light and the dark. David did a great job of preaching that. But then I was reading down just a little bit farther that, that after Luke chapter 2, over into Luke chapter 4, we have Jesus and the temptations. Remember when he was led out into the, to the desert to, to be tempted by Satan? And he was the three temptations and he, and he overcome all of them. But in chapter 4, verse 2013, I think, it says this. God came, or Jesus went out and was tempted no more. But then it says, Satan waited for a better opportunity. Here's the thing that we see. Sin enters the world in, in um, Genesis chapter 3. It manifests itself in Genesis chapter 4. And it shows its ugly head in the New Testament of Luke chapter 4. You see, the same Savior, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, who overcame sin and death, who overcame all of the obstacles that we, that we experience, started back in Genesis chapter 2. Cain was a tiller of the ground. Abel was a keeper of the sheep. Cain brought his first, he brought his fruits. He brought the fruits and vegetables. Abel brought the lambs, the sheep, the meat. One wasn't better than the other. It was the heart of the worshiper. In Genesis chapter 2, man sinned. And in their sin and their shame that they saw because their eyes were open. They did something that was kind of different that they've never, ever done before. In fact, uh, chapter 2, verse 25 says, the man and the woman were both naked and unashamed. It's probably one of my favorite verses of the whole uh, Bible. But they tried to cover their shame with what? Fig leaves. But fig leaves weren't enough because that was a man-made type thing. But then in the next chapter, what is it that God did? God took and, and took skins and created clothes for them, better clothes. So it gives us a good idea of what's going on later on in the New Testament, that as man tries to cover his sin, cover his shame, cover the things that he has, tried, he has decimated this world with, only God could create what would cover our shame. It is a direct reflection and a pointing to Jesus of what he was going to do later on. You see, it takes Jesus and Jesus only to cover our sins. We can work all of our life and do all of the good things. But what happens in our humanity and in our sinfulness, we become just like Cain. Because we try and we try and we try and we don't seem to, to make it anywhere. We don't seem to, to get a foot up on anything. In fact, everything seems to be going in opposite direction of what we wanted to do. 
because we're working so hard when sometimes all it takes is for us to give God the first fruits of our lives and everything will be better. This garment of skin, how did, it, how did we get that? Did God just have some extra skin laying around and said, oh, I'll just use this? No, something had to die. A blood sacrifice had to be given. So when God killed that animal in order to be able to make the skin that would be a better covering for the shame of Adam and Eve, that's where the sacrifice came into play. That's why blood is so important for the covering of our sin. Something died to cover our sin. So the Old Testament always points to the New Testament. The Old Testament is saying that there has to be a blood sacrifice. And he told that to Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel brought theirs. But in the worship service itself, Cain became disheartened because he was saying, what's the point in even doing this? Do you have friends and loved ones, neighbors, even maybe yourself? Getting to the point where you go, what's the point of coming to church? It just seems the same. And nothing ever changes. It doesn't, doesn't do anything. I would point you to the story of Cain and Abel. Because as two worshipers, two brothers who grew up the same way, who had the same mother and father, who grew up in the same household, had the same influences, went opposite directions. And literally it was because Cain's attitude and Abel's attitude in the worship were totally different. You see, Cain brought his best. Abel, or Abel brought his best. Cain didn't. Cain brought the fruit of the ground. Literally, it was the minimum of what he could give. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 says this, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. What is this faith that they're talking about in the book of Hebrews? Faith is what God says. Abel was willing to do whatever it took to do what God says. I think that's the difference between religion and faith. You see, faith is this. It's an outward action to accomplish rules. Do you find yourself doing that? Of saying, I'm doing the right thing. Not that I want to, but just that I know that I have to. I've been raised that way and that's what I'm going to do. But faith is this, is the inward action of trust and dependence that leads to an outward action. The inward action of trust and dependence that leads to an outward action. And then that leads to Hebrews chapter chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You see, Abel came to God in worship as God wanted to be worshiped with the best that he had. Regardless of what it was, it was the best. Cain came with the bare minimum, just the requirement of what he had to give. Martin Luther says that this is the faith of an individual was the weight with at which added the value to Abel's offering. And this is where we come to the end. You see, there are three types of worship. There is minimum worship, there is reasonable worship, and then there is extravagant worship. The minimum worship is this, that the, we find that's kind of in the 21st century, that we go to church because it's expected. We give 10% because that's what we've been taught and that's what's expected. 
We sing only the songs that we like. We live the way we interpret God's word. Just do what I have to do. That's the minimum as it comes to what we give to the Lord. But what is reasonable? Minimum, that'll get us going. That'll get us in the door. That'll get us where we're supposed to be in looking at God. But what is reasonable? It's found in Romans chapter 12. And I love the way the New King James says it. I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. That is your reasonable service. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You sacrifice on the altar of God a living, breathing thing so that as you go out into the world living and breathing, doing things that it is sacrificed on the altar of God that what he says you will do, even to your own hurt, Even though you say, oh, I want to do, I have the right to do, I need to do, this is what I really want, but that's not what God wants, and so I'm going to do what God wants. That is a sacrifice of your will and your way to the Lord. That is what the Bible says is reasonable. It's not even minimal. It is reasonable. But we don't want to live there, do we? As a Christian, we want to give God everything that we have. We want to give God everything in an extravagant lifestyle. Extravagant is this. This is you think all day what God wants. You reflect on what God's word says. You do all day the work that God intends for you to do. You work all week so that you can bring the best to God. And if you want to be extravagant, you not only bring yourself, but you go above and beyond and you bring anybody else that might have an idea that they want to come to the Lord. An example, an extravagant offering exemplified in the point of this story. We sin. We can work hard all of our lives and still cannot overcome our shame. We need a savior. Someone who can do what we can't for ourselves. The Old, Old Testament points directly to Jesus as our Savior. First John 2, 2 and 3 says this, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation or the substitute for our sin. And not for ourselves only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, that one sacrifice that happened back in Genesis chapter 2 was not enough to cover the sins of the world. The sacrifice that was made on the cross by Jesus who laid down his life, he wasn't murdered, he wasn't killed, he laid down his life in sacrifice for you and I so that the blood that he shed covers all of our sins. If you do well, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Haunting words that I think that we all need to hear even this morning. That the same God who spoke to Cain gave him an interrogation. Will you not do well? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But then he gave him a divine 
intervention of sorts. If you don't do well, sin is waiting at the door and it's wanting to devour you. When we bring our worship to the Lord, we make sure that it's what he wants and not what we want. It's a time and a place where we come and we say, this is important to God. It's something that I want to give back to him. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.